Hello, welcome to Inner Christianity. This is Zephaniah, and I'm joined with Angela and Isaac. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about some issues on the ethics and legality of abortion. So, all back, we talked a little bit about some issues with the Texas abortion law, and we didn't go too deeply into it. So, once again, it's back to the front page news because the Supreme Court is reviewing a Mississippi law. So, I guess the question is if Christians are typically viewed as being extremely anti-abortion. The issue here, though, is that not all of them may view it or feel the same way about it. Wait, before we go further, can I say something? Mm-hmm. I, just ahead, wanna, I just want to acknowledge the popular argument that women bring up when it comes to this issue. And that is, y'all are men. Y'all don't know the labor and the struggles that women have to go through. When it comes to pregnancy and abortion. So what gives you guys the right as men to speak into this issue of abortion? If you can't tell, I'm joking. I mean, not joking. Like, I I can see where people are coming with with this argument. But I just want to address it because I know there are people out there who might think, like, you guys are dudes. You don't have a right to tell women what to do or speak about this because it's a woman's issue. So let's address the elephant in the room and acknowledge that you guys are men. I understand the argument, but it's basically just a non sequitur. It's not addressing anything. Like, truth is truth. If I make a good argument as a man, all that matters is I made the argument. Because a woman could simply repeat exactly what I just said, and then what changes? (laughs) Nothing changes. And on the flip side, should I then tell all pro-choice men to shut up? You know, stop your advocacy sit in the sidelines, don't do anything, and then let the women duke it out. No, it's frankly a pretty juvenile argument. So I think we can quickly move on from it. Sorry if that offends anyone, but it just doesn't get the discussion anywhere. Okay, so just any thoughts per se on biblical arguments then against abortion? So I think the key issue of abortion is what exactly do we think about the unborn? And when do we think that thing about the unborn? Is the unborn baby a full human person? Something like a human person? Is the unborn baby a clump of cells, as pro-choice people say? And so that's, I think, a very key issue that will inform pretty much everything else about the debate. So we can look at different resources on how to answer that question, like science or philosophy. Of course, as Christians, we first want to look at the Bible. And it's not the case that the Bible directly says somewhere like, and thus the unborn is a full human individual. It's more like we get clues based upon what scripture says that it really leans any Bible-believing Christian and I think the vast majority of religious conservative Jews to this particular position. Um, Just to start off, for example, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 when it says, the Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother, he named me. And you can kind of try to chalk that up as like, oh, this is just a figure of speech of some sort. But this is not the only passage that has this kind of speech pattern. And it seems to point to the fact that God knows and names people in the womb. And so there is some sort of moral value attached to the unborn baby, if not full personhood. 
And so that's at least one verse that leans us to the position that um, the unborn baby should be viewed very highly such that we shouldn't terminate that life, especially for issues of convenience. Yeah, I would agree. I think when you look at the Bible, it doesn't necessarily say, oh, because the baby is formed in the womb, that baby is a human. But like there is a value that is associated to the baby in the womb because it speaks of that value in the womb. So another two verses that speak on that is Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. It says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then skip to 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So there's this idea that God is forming this baby in the womb and has already made and ordained so many things to come with this baby that is forming in the womb, although not yet outside of the womb. And that to me can show then that there is an importance, even though it's still in the process of developing. Yeah, so I'm hearing these biblical arguments and I'm seeing the kind of outlines you guys are putting out. The other things you want to beef up the outline in terms of philosophical or theological or even scientific arguments? I think scientifically, there's good reason to view the unborn human baby as an actual individual. I'm just throwing one out there. At conception, there's a completely unique genetic code. And as this baby develops, you know, anyone who's gone through sonograms like I have, I have a baby boy now, um, you see your baby develop and you see characteristics form and there's very good reason to see like oh this is this is an actual baby so you see all these things you know there's a heartbeat brain activity at a certain early age of development so there are certainly very good reasons within several weeks of conception to view the unborn baby as a unique individual and so i think those kind of help bolster the biblical arguments as Christians, we may not necessarily need them to be personally convicted because we have scripture, but scientifically, that might be a route we can take. Yeah, I think it, like Isa said, it comes down to how you define when it becomes a human being. My question would be when someone determines or defines a person, what, how even science determines a human. Like some people say heartbeat, and that's why there's the heartbeat bill. And some people say brand activity. And so there's like many, many ways we could take this argument. And I guess everyone has different opinions on how they even define a human being, right? And so yeah. I'm aware of how the science community determines or defines a human being. Well, science doesn't really address the question of personhood. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that these scientific evidences that we can point to, genetics, brain activity, heartbeat, they are signs that we are dealing with a human being because mm-hmm. these are common signs of human life as well. Now, you get more into theology and philosophy, we start getting into the nitty-gritty of personhood. And I'm not saying I'm super well-versed in all of this either. All I'll say there is that, so some people will argue that the fetus is not a person because he does not have the self-conscious, the self-awareness, that a human person is supposed to have. Like that, that's what we associate with personhood, like consciousness. And 
some philosophers have gone so far, like there's a guy named Peter Singer, he'd gone so far as to say that's why even infanticide is okay up to when the baby is two years old. So he's he's willing to bite the bullet and say, like, even up to two years old, like, it is not wrong for you to end the baby's life. Not a popular position for many reasons, but, you know, he's willing to bite the bullet there. But I would even argue, too, that it's not even required, even though it's helpful, to view the baby as a fully realized human individual. Because even if you view the baby as something different, like a potential human or um, something akin to an animal, like a dog, we still have moral intuitions against needlessly killing animals. Like we find that cruel. Like if you're just doing it just because of convenience, like if I had a pet dog and I didn't like the dog anymore for some reason, like dogs inconveniencing me, which I would never do, by the way, because I love my dog. But, and I decided, like, you know, I'm just going to take my dog out in my backyard and shoot it. I think a lot of people would be like, whoa, that's like a, your convenience is still not enough to justify ending the life of another living thing, even if that thing is not a human. So there are ways, I think, to still build a case where, you know, even if some of these philosophical questions about personhood are not fully resolved, we can still have a pretty strong case against the morality of abortion. Okay, so I'm hearing these arguments and I'm seeing it. So what about some counterarguments? So for the pro-choice side, say they're saying, what about in cases of rape, incest, danger to the mother's health? Or let's say even for the baby, let's say if you find out the quality of life is not going to be good. So I've never been a fan of these kind of arguments because they're using exceptions or very difficult situations to try to come up with general rules. So let's grant for the sake of argument, the unborn baby is a, a human individual. And then in the course of her pregnancy, we realize that the mother's life is in danger. That's the kind of popular scenario people bring up as if they're catching Christians in a contradiction. That's not a contradiction. If you're weighing one human life against another, of course, that's a difficult situation. So the fact that pro-life people struggle with a question like that is not proof of inconsistency. It's just a natural consequence of them viewing the human, the baby as a human individual. So the whole thing is silly, because even if we make that exception, like in those very rare cases, that's when the mother has a right to preserve her own life and end the pregnancy. Okay, that doesn't address the vast majority of pregnancies that are purely, I mean, abortions, I should say, that are purely elective. So. Pointing out difficult scenarios like that really doesn't address the main core of the issue, which is really elective abortion. Do women have the ethical or moral right to end their pregnancy for virtually whatever reason they choose? And the pro-life position says no. And so pointing out like very, very rare exceptions doesn't really change that position at all. Yeah, I think Isaac has good points. And I think... It's fair, though, to still ask the question, like, what about rape? Like, in those small instances, like, is it then a good argument that abortion is an option for them? And I know we're not talking about legality yet, but even morally, how would you guys deal with that? So you commonly hear, and people joke all the time, two, two wongs, when they make fun of Chinese people, two wongs don't make a right. So essentially, if sin occurred 
and I also see abortion as killing, it wouldn't make sense to do that to rectify the situation. Because one, if the baby is what I believe to be alive, it wouldn't make sense to harm an innocent. And let's say, okay, every time you look at the baby or once you give birth to it, you're, you're just, you have that P, you have PTSD and it keeps reminding you of the situation of the rape, then you can also offer the child up for adoption. So there are ways that you can safely unload the baby without having to terminate it. I think just in my opinion, that's probably a better option. But I also understand the counter argument could be, well, you're not the one holding on or giving birth to it. I totally get that. So I would I would still stake that just because a sin had occurred, it doesn't mean that should do another sin just to change the situation. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. If there's not a reason that really reaches the point of you're weighing life against life, then I think what gets precedent is the sanctity of life in the unborn child. Okay, so about then the kind of argument that this is the woman's body, she's the one bearing the baby, it should be her choice, it should be her decision. And we see a lot of this argumentation, this line of thought coming out, this is my body, what gives you a right to insert or in interject your opinion or your thoughts onto how I should decide or live? I don't know. I don't think the argument is even about controlling a woman's body or what she should do with her body. I think the argument more so points to whether or not it is moral to get rid of this clump of cells. Or if it's a human, when you consider the baby to be a human, then it, to me, shows like it's murder, not murder. And I know that's a very strong language for that, but that's really what it comes down to. But in my mind, if we downplayed the idea that this is a human and it's not murder, we're in a big danger. And so I just want to be, I'd rather be more careful and cautious to say like, hey, this is a person, this is a human. And when we get rid of it, they're more dangerous moral implications for that. And so I never even saw it as like a controlling issue. Like when someone says, hey, like that's, that's not, it's not controlling. Yeah, I never saw it or received it as that as a woman, but also I'm very like conservative. So I can see how like someone might be, what the heck, bro? Or sis, like, what are you doing? Why aren't you like standing up for the woman? But if anything, like I would feel more uncomfortable with the the idea of rape, like hosting a baby that's from rape, which is like one of my greatest fears, like hosting a baby as a reminder of that, like that to me, I'm like, man, that's tough. That's like, like you're carrying something that's so traumatic. So more than the controlling thing, I think it's the rape thing that gets me a lot. Yeah, I largely agree. I actually personally try to avoid the terminology of murder. Mm -hmm. Because if you define murder as something like intentional, unjustified killing mm -hmm. of another human being, then I would say most pro-choice advocates don't view the baby as a human being. So when they advocate or actually do kill the baby, it's not intentionally killing a human. Does that make sense? So it's something more akin to manslaughter. Now, it is worth pointing out there is a certain group of very um, strident feminists who will say things like, yes, there is no doubt. I read an article actually from a feminist. She, she wrote, I had no doubt that what I was carrying was a human being. But I also believe I have 
I had every right to kill that human being because of my rights. And so she had an abortion. And I'm like, and yeah, I think, yeah, I think most people are not going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that's a human being and I'm going to kill it. <laughs> like, that's usually not most people. But otherwise, I do largely agree that it's not a controlling body issue. One, it assumes that the baby is merely an extension of the woman, which we, this is the whole point. We deny that. We deny that the baby is just like her spleen. So right. the issue is, again, what's the status of the baby and how does that inform actions taking, taken against the baby, essentially, which is what abortion is. And so... I'm just not impressed by those arguments. Those are popular like bumper sticker arguments that really don't go anywhere, <laughs> frankly. Okay, so so I'm hearing a lot that the, the baby, there's conception, heartbeat, life, etc. And we've kind of established that we see that God even has a purpose and plan for the child. He knows the child. He forms him at the womb, etc. And so we've definitely talked about tribalism on different episodes before. Can we then... In good faith, be able to disagree with other Christians who hold different thoughts on abortion. Because although we are all under the umbrella of Christ, we are also kind of distinct in our views that we have politically. So do you think with the arguments we've listed today that we should strive to lean one way directionally? Or is it even plausible to be a Democrat and a Christian and, and hold those more abortion views, pro-choice views? I think morally... Like, I, I still don't think it's a salvation issue. Like, just because someone disagrees with me on abortion, even on a moral level, like, I'm automatically going to say, oh, this person's not saved. But I don't see a whole lot of room for a really consistent Christian to be pro-choice on an ethical level. Now, that doesn't necessarily answer the legal question. You know, we've talked about this before when we did talk about politics, like, that moral issues don't automatically map on to legal issues. So there's a relation there, but they're not coextensive. So then we're kind of going into the issue of, should there be laws against abortion? What kind of laws should there be? What kind of enforcement? And there are Christians who believe that elective abortion is morally wrong, but also believe that it should be legally permitted. So I do think there's more room for disagreement on the political slash legal side. And even for me, and I, I, I expressed my, my suspicion, I would say, of the Texas law, you know, we talked about on the politics episode. So I wasn't, so even though I'm pro-life on a moral level, I didn't like that law. I thought that was a law that was going to be abused and probably not a good idea. So there's room there to disagree with law. And I'm willing, in terms of a legal standpoint, to have compromises. Yeah, I think, so I want to kind of rewind. When I said murder, you Isaac said that you didn't like that word because it insinuates that the person is aware of what they're doing by ending a life. Yes, at least from a, a moral level. Now, I know there's like a bunch of different definitions of legal definitions of murder. Just from a ethical standpoint, what counts as murder? I would say it's intentional, unjustified killing of a human being. Okay. And so you wouldn't assign that definition to abortion because the person might not be intentionally considering it like a person is that yeah, why they don't view the unborn baby as a human being so then they're uh -huh. still killing a human being at least in my view but they're not doing so intentionally i see okay gotcha yeah, yeah so th 
to wrap it to right now, I think for Christians, like they have to make a stance. Like they have to come to a place of like, is this a person? And it's still considered killing, as Isaac just said, whether or not the person deems the unborn baby a person or a clump of cells, right? Yeah. So if you still have good reason to view the baby as a human individual, you would still want some level of protection, maybe legal protection for this person, even if other people don't see it the same way, as you're Mm -hmm. trying to protect a human life from being unjustly terminated. Yeah, I think it's just hard because this baby, this unborn baby doesn't have a voice or doesn't have the ability to speak up for itself or fight for itself because they are vulnerable. And so it's just tricky because then we who are already developed like beings outside of the womb like we have the ability to speak and like fight for laws and so i think to some degree christians should speak up for the unborn because of that unique like circumstance but i personally haven't arrived to like what that would mean or what that looks like because i do think sometimes like the people who are outside of the abortion clinics with like pictures of like certain you know images of fetuses and stuff like that like I don't know if that's the best way, you know, but I don't have like a better thing I can offer right now. But I do think, yeah, like in terms of the legal or political aspect, I'm kind of lost. I just know we should have better options other than Planned Parenthood or like abortion clinics. But that's just where I'm currently at. So what about some other arguments where I think more recently I've seen a lot of my Christian friends who are becoming more progressive say, Okay, if you're going to say you're pro-life, what about all these other issues for your party? What about incarceration? What about systemic oppression? What about the injustices here? What about people being killed by the police? If you're truly pro-life, why are you only taking a single stance on one issue instead of trying to better the life for everyone? I actually called out someone who is more of a progressive Christian, progressive politically. I think he himself is personally pro-life, but he didn't want to shed light on that because he didn't want his prog friends to get mad at him. He started saying like, oh, I'm consistently pro-life because I'm pro-immigration. Like, I guess he's, he's not steadfast against illegal immigration. He's like, I'm anti-death penalty. I'm pro-welfare. Under the umbrella of pro-life, he shoves in all this other political stuff from his own political ideology. And I pointed this out to him. I was like, it is committing the fallacy of equivocation to use the terminology pro-life in these various ways. When we know what pro-life means in this particular context when we're talking about the abortion debate, all it means is if you're pro-life, you hold this particular stance against abortion and you have a certain view of the, of the unborn baby. And if you're pro-choice, you have the opposite view. So then I told, I brought this example up. I was like, it'd be silly for me to be like, hey, I'm more pro-choice than you because I'm libertarian. I'm pretty strongly free market. I'm all about choice across the board. I'm more pro-choice than you are. Ha ha ha. That's like silly. For you to make that argument, you have to like show how a particular stance on abortion necessarily leads to these other political issues that you want. So here's a popular one. Like some people say, oh, if you're pro-life, how can you be for the death penalty? And by the way, I'm personally, I'm not even really pro-death penalty myself. But it is a silly argument unless you can 
make that connection because all of, all someone needs to say is like, oh, I'm pro-life because the baby hasn't done anything to warrant being killed. But in certain rare circumstances, when someone commits such an evil act, then that presents justification for ending his life. That's all he needs to do to show like these two things are distinct issues. So it's just unbelievably lazy to take the terminology pro-life, which literally means for life, right? And then shove in other things that you think are more are better for life because you're just trying to play little word games. It's useless. Stop using arguments like this, people. I think it's like I understand why people bring it up, though. And I, I do think that they have a good point when certain Christians are so passionate about anti-abortion. Uh, but when it comes to caring about other parts of someone's life it's not as passionate or as present and so i do think that sometimes christian can get so consumed in anti-abortion that they ignore other avenues or being more positive in like what they do like creating adoption clinics or like foster care and adoption or you know just like creating other positive avenues for this person who is making the decision of abortion, which is not easy for a lot of women because a lot of times they might not be have enough funds or enough uh, support or time to like take care of this child. So I think in that instance, like I can agree that like, okay, well, a lot of times when they bring this up, like I do think there's a good point, like Christians sometimes overdo it. Uh, with the anti-abortion, not other aspects of it. Although I, I agree, it's a distraction. Sure. It's not really getting to the heart of... Well, no, so yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just adding on to yeah. the other we'll, side of it. Yeah. yeah, like we'll talk about how to minister to people who are thinking about abortion later. And I do think Christians can do more. So it is worth noting that I think Christians statistically adopt way more than everyone else does. I was, you know, addressing what FNI said, like trying to say, oh, if you're pro-life here, this means you need to be supportive of all these other political issues that I like. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be consistently pro-life. And I'm just pointing out how ridiculously silly that is. Yeah, right. And obviously mothers, they need to be ministered to. We need to talk about that more. But it's just more like this kind of rhetoric. If you're pro-life, then you need to agree with me on X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah. Like immigration and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so I think when you look at the state of church, let's just broadly say evangelicals, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Like many things we've been bringing up, we do need to be a voice for the oppressed, the widows, and the children. And we also need to show compassion to, towards those who are different or hold different views. And I think that compassion is severely lacking. And I think also it shows people don't necessarily care about the welfare of the woman. They care more so about whether they win. At least that's how I perceive it. So I think, I think on the one hand, galvanizing Christians to vote and then weaponizing them as a political entity, I think those are problems. But then the question is, should we as Christians vote against abortion as a whole, right? Should we galvanize and say, hey, this is what we take a stand for? Because we should be a voice for those who can't even speak for themselves yet, right? What what then do we do? Do we stay political or is politics just a part of our lives or is it our life in totality? Yeah, I do think the emphasis for Christians should actually be somewhat independent of the political question. Because let's say 
unrestricted abortion is made legal throughout the land. That doesn't mean we can't still minister and try to teach people why abortion is wrong. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you have to do it. And there are some good political arguments to make. Like I think most people even today are against late-term abortions because they understand that it's kind of barbaric. And so we still probably want to uphold laws because even Roe v. Wade upheld that you know, late-term abortions are not, are not a protected right. But even Roe v. Wade itself, many pro-choice legal scholars will admit that the illegal argument in Roe v. Wade, that it was bad. It was a bad argument. And so there are things there that you can say like, hey, like, why are we listening to the Supreme Court decision that was kind of blatantly wrong about constitutional law? But to illustrate, though, like why it can be dangerous to focus too much on winning politically, the um, Roe, the Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade was a woman named Orma McCorvey. So she was a young woman. And then she was kind of used as a political weapon to push forward abortion. She became a Christian. And then all these pro-life advocates like pushed her to the forefront to be this spokesperson against abortion. So she's Jane Roe. She's the Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade. So look at, look at this. This is our like, secret weapon. And so they pushed her there. They paid her money. They gave her lots of publicity. And then towards the end of her life, she actually came out and said, like, actually, you know, I'm fine if women have abortions. <laughs> and I just kind of said those things because that's what I was being told to say. And so it kind of exposed that for many Christians who were around her, they didn't care about her as a woman who was just saved and needed discipling. They saw her as a political weapon. So that's kind of a danger that I think us Christians need to be aware of, that there is this political question. It is actually pretty complicated. There are some things we can advocate for. But if we care a lot more about that than actually ministering to women and to provide them options if they are considering abortion, then we're doing something wrong. And so I think sometimes it's good to separate those two things and then making sure that we're putting a lot more effort into the ministry part rather than the political part. Okay, I guess with that being said, then as a church, how do we then minister? We've we've kind of briefly touched upon these things. And so what are some maybe good resources that people can look up or, or what are some maybe new ideas that we should think about as a church to implement? I think one practical thing is setting up like a adoption and foster care, like ministry at a church, like the details of that, I'm, I can't give you, but my church has like a foster and adoption care pastor, like who focuses specifically on that and connects with local centers and they do trainings and give like information to those who are more interested in creating those options for people, uh, whether you are a Christian or not, like that is available as like a source for all people. And so I thought that was really cool way to create like an open door for those who don't know much about adoption or don't know much about the different centers that they can be connected to. And this is the first church I'm part of that ever had this kind of ministry or this kind of focus, which kind of like to me, like steps up to the plate in showing and really caring for the unborn instead of just like standing outside screaming at people who are getting it. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know if you remember this Zephaniah at our old church, that group came. I forgot what the ministry was called. But I think other ministries do the same thing. Like there's a ministry called ICU mobile, where they offer free sonograms to women. And I remember the person who came and talked to us, 
And he talked about how many women, particularly if they're poor, they actually don't think they have a choice to keep the baby. And so it actually helps them, though, when they get a free sonogram and can see their child for the first time. Because, by the way, if you never had a baby, the, the medical cost can be expensive. And so for many women, for example, many poor women, they may not have ever seen their own baby through a sonogram. So offering free sonogram and they can see their baby have a connection. And many women, they say, who just from the first time seeing their own baby, they're like, yeah, of course I can't kill this baby. This is mine. And then, of course, they can do more ministry beyond that. And so I do agree this is more effective than screaming in front of abortion clinics, which is probably not going to change too many minds. Um, but when you're actually meeting people where they are, especially when many of these women, I would say the vast majority of these women, they're not the stereotypical crazy third wave feminist. There are women who maybe even feel guilty and bad about what they're doing, but they just don't see a way out. And so for the church to actually present them with a way out is a, such a great thing. And then these are women who would gladly take that way out, I think, and save their own child. So definitely I'm seeing that if churches have the resources, they should try to develop things for not just the underprivileged, but just people in general who need help. And I think a big factor in that is just showing them the compassion of Christ that he had. And I think a big thing is not every church has the same amount of resources. So Angela's at Fielder and they have tremendous resources, right? And so maybe some of the smaller churches, like Isaac was saying, Maybe you could pull some money together, try to just give some sonograms. It doesn't have to be some kind of huge deal or huge thing. But the church definitely needs to rethink how we approach our finances as well. So, again, a building is great, and we do need to upkeep it. But at the end of the day, the body of Christ is not a building. And so if we are to really try to help other people, and even Christians, right? Let's say they get into a relationship and they, they become pregnant. What do we do? Do we condemn them? Do we cast them out? Do we excommunicate them? Or do we really, in a loving way, forgive and try to help them understand, like, hey, I don't want my judgment or whatever I did make you feel like you have to abort the baby. And so in a lot of ways, too, we as a church have to really understand, like, we are broken. And there's not always going to be a perfect way to help someone. But we definitely have to think about or brainstorm with some ideas on how to approach this issue. But that's good. Uh, any any other thoughts in, in closing or conclusion or anything else that you guys want to add? Yeah, I think for me, like you kind of mentioned it right now, I I think a lot of it has to do with destigmatizing like this idea of like unwanted pregnancies happen and a lot of it comes from things happen to where people get pregnant and sometimes the church shames and guilts those people. And I think that's part of the reason why abortion actually happens within the church is because of this like shame that's associated with this with like sexual relations that aren't biblical. And yeah, there's just a lot of shame and sin and all that condemning that kind of pushes abortion further in the church among Christians. And so how do we do a better job of making sure that there's a, a safe space, an open space, a non-judgmental space for people to confess and like to get help as a result? Uh, instead of them thinking like abortion is the only like route. And so I think that's like definitely something the church also needs to work on is destigmatizing that and like allowing for people to confess that and ask for help without being like judged or shamed. Though I think at the end of the day, like 
it is still like I still stand by what I believe abortion is until like I do think Christians need to make that definition very clear like what do they think about the unborn person in the womb is it a human being or not and then what does it mean to get rid of that and if it is a human like what can we do to better create opportunities for those who are pregnant, who are struggling with finances, who are struggling with shame, to walk with them and to minister to them and to really walk the walk of like, hey, we're still here for you to help you with this child because it is hard and people don't want to get rid of the baby when there's so many more ways we can create opportunities for life. But at the same time, yeah, Christians have to do better. Yeah, so I guess to really bring us back to our original questions, I think there's not a lot of room for, again, purely elective abortions, abortions that are done out of convenience, really, and not because of any sort of emergency situation. It's not a lot of room, I think, for a biblical Christian to allow for that. The legal political question is a little bit more complicated. It's not necessarily the case that all abortions, therefore, need to be made illegal. And, you know, there's a lot of compromise and legal discussion to have there. But then for us Christians, because that moral part is really what's driving us and not politically winning. And like Angela said, that needs to drive our ministry and not trying to be so gung-ho on a political issue such that, you know, we invite Donald Trump to speak at our Christmas service. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little dig on someone on a Dallas church. I'm not going to say who it was. Oh, it's very obvious. Very <laughs> <yeah>. obvious with church. <laughs> So, yeah, you don't have to say yeah, it. <laughs> like that's, that's just not what church is supposed to be about. Yeah. And also for the woman who already has had an abortion, I think that's something to also speak to. Even still, God welcomes and invites us to come to him with this. This doesn't separate us from his forgiveness and his redemption. And like, it is a big issue. And I think it does require healing because like, for those who have gone through it, it wasn't easy. It's lingers with a woman, you know, after they have it. It's it's a huge thing that happens to a woman. And I think community and prayer and like bringing us back to the Lord, like is so crucial to that healing process. And so like, I don't want to like cast you out or like create this distance and saying like, oh, you're not a Christian anymore. But really like all the more, that's why we need Christ more for those who have gone through it and for the man who you know was the father or the partner in that to take ownership too because i think a lot of times we don't really talk to the dude because sometimes like he's the one pressuring the woman to get the abortion and i think that's another conversation to be had too i don't know if that's the right conversation right now but i i want to say i acknowledge that the men in this is also the problem and could help in that problem too well, thank you guys. I think we've seen how biblically that God does see life at conception. I think philosophically and theologically, there are some good points about how we need to consider what is moral, what is legal. And as Christians navigate through that, we need to make sure that regardless if laws are passed, we still hold on to Christ, right? And we, we don't compromise who we are as believers. And I think we have to keep processing and examining our own hearts as we think about things and have 
a charitableness towards others if they disagree, especially if someone says, hey, I'm, I'm a Democrat, I'm progressive, and I'm Christian. <laughs> we don't want conservatives immediately going, oh, so you're not a Christian, or oh, you must be pro this, pro that, whatever, right? And so instead of judging someone immediately, let's learn to educate ourselves, communicate, and also try, if we are incorrect or our arguments are not right or good, to learn how to get better. Shouldn't be an ego issue here. It just should be we're all loving and trying to encourage and help others grow. And in terms of ministering, I think, like we've said, there are different resources and things that churches have to think about. And it's not just the woman's issue. It's also the man, right? And and how do we then as humans come together and find solutions instead of pointing the finger? Well, that's it from us from Inner Christianity. This is Z, Angela, and Isaac. We're signing off.